I'm, all my kids were involved in it. My oldest is now, you know, he's in sixth grade. And so, you know, of course, he's one year out of like the, the, like the range of VBS. And he just thought he was so cool. Or, you know, Summer Fun Nights. He just thought he was so cool to be able to be in some of the drama and acting little things. He had like, he had one line, I think, on the second day in a little skit. And he wanted to get to the, the whole, the event, like two and a half hours early. He was like, I just, Dad, I just got to practice it. I'm like, your line is like, I'm here to serve you, sir. That was his whole line. And that, he just was like, I am dead. He was so dedicated to it. And I guess I wasn't there for it. But I guess every time he did it, he kind of improv further and further with that one line and kind of just began. But my kids loved it. My, my first grader had a great time. My daughter was um, part of the little groove team, you know, doing her little moves. And we were, heard those songs a lot in our house um, over the past couple of weeks. But my youngest, my, or my youngest son got, got something really cool. He heard, you know, from the weekend being here, um, he heard like, hey, here's well, one of the things we want you to do is to invite your friends who might want to be a part of this. It's really fun and it really could be a great experience and all this kind of stuff. So he, he heard that as like a rule. Like in my son, unless, if we make up a rule, he wants to argue it. If it's an imposed rule, like a seatbelt law or something like that, he is absolutely, like if we're pulling out of the driveway and his seatbelt's not on, he'll start screaming, my seatbelt's not on. He believes if a cop sees him, he's going to jail. Now, he heard, tell your friends about VBS, and he just assumed this is what everybody's supposed to do. Not a, no one told him this is a rule and you're going to be in trouble if you don't. He just assumed it was that. So he was like, I got to invite my friends. I invited one friend and they couldn't come, so I'm inviting more friends. He invited, he, you know, he invited, of course, four kids from our neighborhood. All of them came. And so we were, we transported them every week back and forth to this thing. And one of his friends, so it was actually his buddy's sister, decided that she wanted to make a decision for Jesus, like first time. And it was like, my son maybe captured something. Gosh, this is sounding terrible. You want to hand me another microphone? I'll just use a, a handheld mic. Um, but my son, my, you know, my son just kind of understood something about inviting people, which is the belief that, there we go, whoa, that, which is the belief that kids can become kid-sized followers of Jesus. That faith is not something that's just for people who are old and like us, and you know, like we just celebrated my wife's 40th birthday this week. She's not here this service. I'll say it differently next service. Um, <laughs> But that kids can be participants in the life of faith. And, um, man, it was great to see what, what, our, what our children's ministry did, what our volunteers did, what happened this past week. It was so, so much fun. If you're new with us, I'm really glad you're here. My name's Jeff, and um, aside from having difficulty with a microphone, um, I, I am the lead pastor here, and I, I am honored to be able to do this every single week, and I love being here. You know, we say, you know, a lot of, in a lot of ways, Mariners is a church for people who haven't ever been to church. It's a church for people who haven't been to church in a really long time. You know, we, we, we have a culture here of inviting folks, and what we say often is that no one here has all the answers. No one's got it all figured out, and uh, we're, we're just simply trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and love other people. If you are looking for something along those lines, you're in the right, you're in the right place. If you're looking for a place where everybody's got it all right and got it all together, that's not us, but man, we are so, so glad that you're here, and I'm excited to talk to you today. We got a series called, um, where it's just kind of this, this picture about what it looks like to sort of follow Jesus, and it's this series called, Oh, the Places You'll Go, and the Bible has a, mo- has a kind of a bias for movement that, in other words, people would go to different places, and what we said last week, if you're here with us, we said this, that answering the question, who are you or who am I, is a pretty tough question. And one of the best ways to frame up that answer is actually by another question, which is this, where, where are you going? Where are you headed? And throughout this whole series, we're looking at the idea that God is you know, putting people on the move, that people are on the move, and that who we are is a direct reflection of kind of where we go. And so we've been looking at, it's been a great, great, great conversation. And so um, the, 
in other words, we would say it this way, that the journey of transformation is, or another way to say it is transformation is actually a journey. And so we've been looking at this verse, kind of framing it up. Psalm 32 verse 8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Now, this is kind of God saying, in other words, I want to be able to direct where you go because where you go shapes who you are. Now, in other translations, you have, um, I want to I counsel you, I'm sorry, I want to teach you in the way you should live. The Hebrew literally says in the way you should walk. And so the, the idea of going and walking and becoming are all kind of lumped together. And so I've been very excited about this series. Got some great feedback from last week and a lot of you guys wrestling with some pretty big stuff about where you are in your life. And so let's pray and we'll jump into today's message and we'll talk about all oh, the places that we'll go. Father, we have so much to be grateful for. We know in this room there's not only reasons to be grateful, there's reasons to be longing for help and hope. And so, Jesus, as we consider all of what that might look like, we pray that you would meet us here. Father, every one of us in this room, if we're really honest, is longing for some kind of transformation. We want the possibility, the idea that maybe we could become different than we are now. And so, Jesus, would you give us a picture of what that might look like? Because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of what it might mean to leave things that are familiar. Would you guide us? Would you hold us? Would you, as the video said, greet us as a loving father with arms wide open? So Jesus, for just a moment, might that picture sink into our own heads? That you don't intend to lead us by whipping us into shape, but rather you intend to guide us as a loving father. So would you give us just a picture of that for just a moment in stillness as we consider that, Jesus? Father, there is so much that is mysterious and unknown in every one of us in this room, whether or not we're considering you seriously or we're just here because we were forced to be here or we got lost or whatever it is, every one of us is looking to have some kind of encounter with a full and rich life, and we're all searching for it. Help us to take a step in that direction today, maybe an unexpected one. In your name, Father, amen. All right, if you, um, you want to take out in your bulletin, you've got a little outline. If you want to pull that out, you can do so. Um, if you just want to look on the screen, you can do that as well. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis chapter 12, as well as Romans 4. You can do that if you want. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Everything you need will be on the screen, and um, so we'll get right into it. Now, as we consider all this stuff, as we consider what this might look like, we consider the idea of where we're going, there's, there's one thing everyone is willing to go forward to try to find. There's one thing that everybody, no matter whatever, regardless of their own faith background, whatever that might be, whatever faith journey that you're on, everybody in the whole world, there's one thing that everybody is, is willing to go to try to find. There's like a universal longing within every one of us to find a rich and full kind of life. And part of that rich and full kind of life tends to always be the belief, the understanding that right now where I am somehow has kind of an incomplete picture of that. Like there's another part of the story somewhere out there. It's a little bit bigger, a little bit broader. And so all of us are longing for some kind of transformation, some kind of, some kind of expectation that we could change, that we could be different. Because somewhere else out there is going to be a little bit more fullness of life. Everybody has this belief. You know, it's within us. I read something this week that... Um, uh, I was, there, there was a, an article about how, how big gyms make money, like a big gym, like a, you know, like a, like a LA fitness or something like that. And I was, the article was this, those gyms are designed for people not to show up. First of all, it was very interesting how they talked about it. 
and that 40% of the people who sign up for those gyms never go. And they don't cancel their memberships. So they have these incredibly cheap memberships. People, people sign up for them and never go, but they don't cancel their memberships because they always want the possibility that they could be different, that they could change. Even if they never do, they just want the idea that it doesn't cost me that much money to keep my membership, and if I ever decide to take something seriously about having my life change, I can go do it. It's true. It's part of our nature that we long for the idea and the possibility about our life looking different. And the biggest question for us in it isn't simply, do I want to change? Because I think if we're all really honest, there's parts of us in the stillness of our own mind, if we're really kind of honest, we would say, there's parts of me that need change. But the bigger question is, how do I get there? And even more so, probably more honestly, is, is it worth it? People are going places all the time. But the question is, is it getting them to the place where they want? Life transformation and fullness. I think about the picture of just people simply doing all kinds of things and keeping busy and wondering why there isn't fulfillment. I think about people probably that have come today, maybe some of you are in this room who are like, I don't have any other answers and I have been running life's proverbial treadmill and I've been running harder and harder and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere and I'm staying in the same place and you're wondering, how do I get there to a place where things are different, to a place where things are better? In a lot of ways, I think many of us, to look at our own life, we are chasing a myth. It's an elusive myth. It says, if I could get to some place, I'd never, I want to get to the place where I never have to change or never want to change anything else. I'm working to get to a place where everything could be all perfect and set up and then I'd never have to change again. And yet, the Bible has this kind of bias for action, a bias for transformation. And if we're going to be changed, if transformation is a journey, there's a truth we have to wrestle with, which is this one right here. If transformation is a journey, I cannot stay where I am today and expect to change. If transformation is a journey, I cannot stay where I am today and expect to change. Now, like I said, my guess is that everybody in this room has something that they would go, you know, I probably need a little bit of work on that. I'm not perfect. There are others of us have big, gaping, obvious things where we go, I need change. Again, maybe it's a circumstance that came upon you. Maybe it's something you did to yourself or something, some decisions or patterns or whatever else it might be, but you're stuck in some way and the only way it changes is if there's some kind of change or some kind of step out into something else that you may not have thought. Now, on the other end of transformation, there's a Bible word for this. On the other end of transformation, it's a word that you see a lot that always surrounds kind of transformation. It's this word that you see all the time. It's the word blessing. That on the far end of transformation, whatever it might be, wherever God is taking people to go, the other end of it is blessing. And in, it has a lot of sort of roots and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot to it, but it, basically you get this picture of favor and joy and abundance and fullness, and there's meanings and implications within it, and the question people are looking for in the Bible, which is no different than us, which is how do I get to there? I am here, and I want the life of fullness and whatever else it might look like, and I don't understand it. I've seen some people talk about it on television, and they seem like they're crazy, and I know people have talked about the idea of fullness and blessing in other places, and they seem like they're, I just don't know how to get from, there to, from here to there. And if it's the brand of blessing I've seen before, perhaps, that maybe the church has talked about before, maybe I don't want it. So what are we talking about? I'm going to show you a story from Genesis chapter 12. It's about a guy named Abram, or Abraham as he'll eventually be called. 
and I want you to see the story. Now, this story has a lot of chapters in the Bible. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 and goes all the way to about Genesis 25. And we're not going to cover all of it. We're just going to cover one slice of this guy's story. And here's what happens. And look at this journey of transformation. Genesis 12.1, the Lord had said to Abram, go. Now, when you see the word go in the Bible, remember our series is, oh, the places we'll go. And the implication, if you're with us last week, is that nobody goes anywhere that God intends, to them, intends for them to go without God himself with them. In other words, you can't simply say, I'll get everything together and then I'll show God how, how great I am and this is where he intended me to go. No, 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 no. The first step in transformation is always toward Jesus, toward God. Now, God says to Abram, go which means Abram is about to be transformed. There's something about him that's going to be different than it has been before. And there's going to be an invitation of movement to something different. Continuing on. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, what I want you to catch is this. Notice the progression in which the way God speaks to Abram. It starts out from the most general and gets more and more specific from your country. And your people, these are all markers of familiarity, and your father's household. Notice how narrow that begins to get. Country, your people, your father's household, and to the land. The land is impersonal. I'm taking you from a place that you already know and are familiar with. It may be a good and beautiful and wonderful place, and I'm going to take you somewhere else that you don't know. When we talk about the idea of transformation, something about our lives being different, it means something really, really important. It means that when any time we take a step in a transformation, it's that every step in a transformational journey is always a step into the unknown. More often than not, it's the unknown that causes people the greatest level of anxiety and keeps people stuck. I don't know what will happen. If I go over there, if this happens, if God takes me to this place, something will happen to me and I don't know what will happen, so I'd rather stay where I can predict, even if it's dangerous or it's life-taking. I'm not going to the next place because it's unknown. God calls Abram into this place that is wildly unknown to him. And in the most transformative place, it's always going to be unknown. Next verse, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Continuing on. Verse three. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. This is simply a phrase in which he's saying, God's saying to him, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be afraid. You're going to go into these places. You're going to go wherever you're going to go, but that's just a way in the Hebrew world of saying, I'm with you. You're not alone. Then he says this, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, in, in the Hebrew context, There's lots of things that go with blessing, but there's always two really solid things that go along with blessing in the ancient world, always. They are land and they are descendants. Seed is sometimes what it's called. Land and descendants are offspring. Five times in the Bible, five times in the book of Genesis during Abraham's story, you have God saying to him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, remember, this is a guy who's hearing this. He's hearing this incredible blessing come upon him. In in Genesis 12, 7, the Lord appeared to Abram, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This isn't in your outline. But you have God saying, there's going to be this offspring and there's going to be all this stuff and you're going to bless everybody. Even continuing, it gets even more crazy. He took him outside, God speaking to Abram. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Now, this is an unbelievably great promise to someone who is longing to be blessed, to appear, to have the experience of being blessed. They want the descendants and they want the land. That is the way in which God's blessing is made known. But there's a problem. Abram is a person, many of you know this story, Abram is a person and there is a problem and an unlikely thing that's chasing Abram that contradicts these promises. One chapter earlier, Abram and Nahor, Nahor is his brother, both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. You don't need that detail, but here's what you get. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. There's this little detail that goes in right before you get all these promises about how God, this is the very end of chapter 11. The very next thing you have is God's going to bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham. And the only way people are blessed is by your descendants. And Abram is hearing this. He knows this because they want to have kids because kids mean blessing and particularly male kids. And he now doesn't have any kids. And God keeps saying these things. You're going to have the ability to bless everybody. And you have to wonder for a moment. If Abram is considering the idea of what God's saying to him and going, God must be either really crazy or he might be really cruel because we're trying to have kids and God's saying to us through our descendants, they're going to be like stars in the sky, only it doesn't seem to make any sense. In the journey, in the going, In the looking for and the finding transformation, there's something that's really critical that everybody in here needs to grasp. It's this. In the places God intends to take us, he never promises that the journey will make sense. In the places God intends to take us, he never promises that the journey will make sense. It doesn't mean that it won't make sense, but I want you to understand, it doesn't mean that when we, God starts saying to us or begins nudging us, now some of you are like, how does God speak to us? We had a series, our last series was called Listen. There's a good opportunity for me to go back and listen on our podcast. But I want you to capture something. Whatever way in which God might be nudging you, either through circumstances or through other people or through what you're reading, whatever it might be, the chances that it's going to make sense are generally pretty low. I think one of the things that cripples people in their own transformational journey and the way in which that God is intending to shape them is that people are looking to find a definitive, clear reason for the way things are the way that they are. People always say to me, Jeff, I just want to know why. I just want to know why. I'm encountering some difficult things in my life. I'm up, I'm in a toxic relationship. I don't know what to do in this. I have a big decision I'm up against. I have, I have, I'm in an argument with so-and-so. I'm, I'm struggling through whatever. And they just want to go, I want, I, I'm sick. Some of my family's sick. And what they say is, I just want to know why. As if there would be a good enough reason for the pain that they've endured. And I don't always think that that's the most helpful thing for us. Perhaps what's more helpful for us isn't for God to make sense to us. It's simply to acknowledge that the way God leads us isn't always a way that makes sense sense. In the journey, in the places that God intends to take us, he never promises that it will make sense. Now, Abram hears from God, you're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. Now, I told you you guys last week, I was going to, I was going to spend some time making fun of Texas because I go there every summer and the, I, I, I don't know whether, I don't know what this is like, God intended this to, to just for this, specifically for this day. I don't think he just did this for me, but I think he, he wanted to show you guys today what Texas weather is like. 
And so if you want, like today, it's supposed to be 90 degrees and thunderstorms. I don't know if you saw that in the weather forecast. That's, tex- that's, a, that's a mild day in Texas. So all of you looked at the weather report last night, a lot of you guys, and thought, I usually come at 11 o'clock, but it's going to be a sauna in this room at 11 o'clock. And you're like, I'm coming at 9. And already it's so uncomfortable. That's Texas out there, okay? And the Texans love to talk about that. They love to talk about how hot it is and how you can't handle it. And how, you know, my, my in-laws are from South Texas, which I don't, it doesn't even look like South Texas. It, when you look at the map, it's like the middle of Texas. They're like, well, in South Texas. And I'm like, well, south of some places in Texas, maybe. But they're like, oh, it's always this way. We just, you know, you just got to deal with it. And it's like, well, why? No, I don't. I, I live in California. I don't have to deal with it. You chose to deal with it. I don't. I run away from this problem and you can too. Join me. You know, and they're like, no, no, there's this pride there. Now, when people in Texas... They agree with an idea. An idea sounds good. There's a phrase that they use, and it doesn't matter whether or not this is actually something you've ever done, though everybody will talk about it as if it's something they've done. There's a phrase people will use, and they'll say, they'll say this phrase right here. That dog will hunt. That dog will hunt. So if an idea is good and it makes sense, they'll look at you and go, man, that dog will hunt. In fact, usually what they'll do is they'll precede it with the phrase, I'll tell you what. And they pronounce the H in what, you know? I'll tell you what. Wheat bread. You know, that's kind of their deal. I'll tell you what. That dog will hunt. Now, everybody in Texas thinks that they hunt. Not all of them do. Every truck has a gun rack. It's like, okay, really? Yep, just I might need one. Man, you know, that dog will hunt. And everybody talks about the dog. And like now, if, for instance, an idea makes no sense, then you say it the opposite way. Well, I don't know. That dog won't hunt. That's it. And, it, and to me, I'm like, you know, I have a Labradoodle. <laughs> it's like a designer, hypoallergenic, crazy dog. There's never a circumstance in my life where I think that dog will hunt. <laughs> my dog, my dog that like, we have a little low fence outside of our house and, you know, we let the dog out in the morning to like, you know, pee or whatever. And the, occasionally what he'll do is if he sees other people walking, he'll jump over the fence and he's a terrified dog, but he'll jump over and bark at other people. And, you know, he, he, he always sort of like, I think the dog's out. He jumped over the fence and barked. And, you know, our neighbors hate that. And I, I can't imagine why, but they, you know, they're barking. The dog's running around screaming and scaring kids and people are falling off bikes. It's terrible, right? So we got to figure out how to deal with that situation. We've tried a lot of stuff. Probably should just get a bigger fence or whatever. But the dog jumps over. The, and the other day, I'm like, I know he jumps over the fence all the time. And I'm like, all right, come back over here, you know. And like, let's go back over. And he, he jumped over and got stuck in the fence. Like, his leg stuck there. And he's like, rawr, 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 rawr. but I'm like, I was like, you know, lifting him out of this thing. And he's like all scared and sad. I'm like, you, this dog will never hunt. There's never, a, there's, never an, there's never a moment where the analogy plays true here. Now, you have to imagine, Abram hears the promise from God, and sa- which he says, you're going to have a bazillion kids, descendants. That dog will not hunt, he has to be saying. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how it's possible. God intends to make him. God will later change his name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many. When God tells him you're going to have a son, the Bible says that Abram, to translate it badly, isaac means he laughed. They, Abram names his son, which he eventually has, Isaac, because it means he laughs. Like, you're going to have a son. <laughs> that's a good name right there. What I just, that's the name. Because none of it makes sense. 
I was thinking this past, like I told you, my um, Amanda turned, my wife turned 40 on Thursday, which is great because I don't turn, I don't turn 40 for another eight months. <laughs> so great to be young. Um, it's weird how she's just slowing down. Uh, anyway, but some, she's not here. She won't know. It's fine. Don't tell her. Okay. Next service, I'll have to tell the story differently. But I, um, for her birthday, she really wanted a surprise party, but she's kind of one of these people who hate surprises. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. So she wants a surprise party, but wants to be assured there's going to be a surprise party. So this is a really difficult challenge for me. And so here's what I did. Her friends wanted to have a party for her. That they, you know, they wanted to throw a party for her. I'm like, great. Amanda's going to want that. It's going to be great. Here's what we're going to do. So what we decided is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, this is, I got to figure out how to get her to a place where she's distracted from all the possibility of a, of a surprise party with her friends. So here's what I do. I get, a lot of our marriage started in Mission Viejo many, many years ago, you know, and so we're, this is, so our kind of, our first kiss was at a baseball field around here. Our, um, our, our first condo, our little place, our little rental place was right, not too far from our house now. And her parents were in Mission Viejo too. So we drove, like I just drove her to each one of these places and I gave her a little like, this is, by the way, guys, take a little notes. I never do this kind of stuff. It was awesome. Okay, just tell you. We get in the, we get in the driveway. The first thing, get in the car in the driveway. She's like, what are we doing? What's our plan? And she's nervous that I have totally dropped the ball, which is fair on her part, by the way. And I, she gets in the car and I give her, a, the first envelope I give her, says you're getting a massage at the, or going, we're going camping next week at this place. And they happen to have like, this could be the, this could be an outhouse. I don't know what's going to be there. Like in terms of what they're doing in terms of their spa, but I'm like, I got you a massage while we're there camping. And she's like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Which that's never a fail. Always a good idea. For, especially, you know, if you got kids, she's like, that's the greatest thing ever right now. A lot of you, you know, wives are elbowing your husbands. Like take a lesson right there. Good enough. Right. I gave her this first thing. The next thing I do, I drive, so I, that's an envelope. Second envelope is our first house. And I talk about how when, um, when, when we moved in, when I moved in there, you know, we got married, it smelled like Bath and Body Works. It just, I was, and I was allergic. I was always sneezing and stuff. So I got her like a $6 body spray from Bath and Body Works. Not because it smells good, because it was nostalgic. She's like, oh, great, Bath and Body Works. I'm like, no, it's for the joke, right? It's not, okay, whatever, you don't get it. So then we go to the next place. We go, to the, we go to the baseball field where we first kissed, and I gave her a thing, like a big like pack of chapters. By the way, every place I like wrote a little like paragraph about why I love her and all these things and why this place is significant. I got her a thing of chapsticks. This is a joke, you know, and so she, now she's starting to get that it's a joke because it's chapstick, and who gives gifts like chapstick? And then, because, you know, we were kissing, making out, some of you guys aren't sure why. Then we go to her parents. We go park outside of her old parents' place when they lived in Mission Viejo for a little while. And I talked about how her family introduced me to chocolate. I never really grew up with chocolate. And, you know, now I don't hate it anymore. I'm still not totally comfortable with it. I'm a little, we're, our relationship is increasing, chocolate of mine. But there we are. And, I, and so then I gave her a thing of chocolate truffles. And then we're driving out. I said, we got to hurry. We've got to go to this place. We gotta, now, by the way, all of our friends are waiting for, for us at her house or at our friend's house. And I told them, I'm not going to call you guys. You know, the iPhone has a feature now where you can, like, say, you can share your location. So they're following me on, on their phones, their maps. Two of the people are following me on the map. And they're, they're not sure about what's happening right now. They're just watching us drive around all over Mission Viejo. They're on their way. No, they're not. They're driving somewhere else. I don't know where they're going. They're driving somewhere else. So they're watching what's happening. A man is in the car, doesn't know what's happening. I know what's going on. And I, and I tell her, hey, we're, got, we're going to the first place we ever went on our first anniversary for dinner. Where this is, I, you know, I grew up in a church where 
I think this is a good policy. It was a good thing that got kind of like when I was working there. It was like a great thing I learned, which was you should hate credit cards. And I, we were, you know, this is the time in my life where I was making like very little money and neither was Amanda. And, you know, and so it was like, but I was like our first anniversary. And I'm like, I remember literally praying, God, I think I want to use a credit card for dinner tonight. And I, I know that this is bad, but I just, I don't know what else to do. So I spent $80 on our first anniversary dinner at this place. And I told, I gave Amanda an envelope saying, we have reservations for this place at 7.30. And, you know, I'm like, we, we got to hustle. We got to go. But there's this weird thing. Your friends are acting a little strange. They, they're like, because they're going away. I know they're planning like a thing for you on Saturday morning, which isn't real. You know, it's just the distraction thing. They're planning a thing for you on Saturday morning, which is like a brunch thing. And one of your friends can't be there. And she's being all weird. And she wants us to stop by. And she's driving me crazy, and which is not true. But she wants us to stop by. And we just got to go there. And I don't, I guess, because she's going out of town this week. And she's not going to be there. And so we got to go. And we show up at the place. And I'm, she's like, did you want to come and see what Jen's doing? I'm like, yes. We go to the, we go to the side yard and all of her friends are then they come out and they do the happy birthday thing and she's totally surprised amanda's totally overwhelmed she's like crying it was great joy she hugged me a hundred times it was awesome she all of it everything made sense she was so worried and so frustrated the whole time and then she got this party now why do i tell you this really long story the story's different for every single person involved in it for me, I knew exactly what I was doing. Everything with the chapstick and the body spray and all that stuff was just a distraction because what she really wanted was this party, which I was trying to get her to. Her friends who were watching the whole thing unfold could not figure out what was going on. There's a journey that my wife is on that I'm taking her on that nobody knew what was going on. I was the only person who knew and everybody's wondering, this doesn't make any sense and I don't get it and this dog will not hunt. It didn't make any sense. Abram hears from God and he begins to get this picture that something's going to happen and he does something that's so incredibly crazy. It's the same thing I asked of my wife when I asked her to get in the car and she said, should I take something to eat? Do I need a jacket? How long is this going to take? And I had to simply say, you're going to have to trust me. Abram, there we go. Abram believed the Lord. God tells him I'm going to do this thing and Abram says, all right, I believe you. Okay. We can't have kids, and you're saying we're going to have all these kids and all these descendants, and Abraham lived as if it were going to be true. Now, necessarily tied to the notion of blessing in the ancient mind, the idea of this fulfillment, this transformative journey that leads to some other place in which there is blessing. Now, necessarily tied to it is always this other word, righteousness, that those who are righteous are going to be the ones who are going to be blessed. In fact, this is always something that follows Jesus around in his ministry. Like he keeps talking about people who are receiving blessing who aren't automatically deemed righteous. But that's just always, it's like this is the doorway into it. It's like this is, the, this is the way you get access to this kind of blessing. Here's what the Bible says. This is wild. Abram believed the Lord and he, and he, meaning God, credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, it is Abraham's faith that was credited to him as righteousness. Not that he got everything together and proved himself to be a wonderful person who could do everything great, but that there was something about what he believed in God's power to do something, to accomplish something that he could not do by himself. And God goes, that's righteousness. That he had faith. Not that he did everything right, that the way in which Abraham or everybody else is going to experience this fullness, this blessing of this life with God isn't because people do everything right. It's because they believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They have put their faith in Jesus. 
Abraham had it, this righteousness. He got it, not because he did everything great. In fact, this is a centuries-old conversation. Is, am I good enough? Am I righteous enough? What will it take to be someone who is blessed? This is a conversation that Jesus has with religious leaders all the time. We know we've got it right, and the people who keep following you, they don't have it right yet, and you keep talking about them as if they're blessed. What's your problem, Jesus? Because the issue isn't, isn't just first and foremost that the access to God is about our right behavior. It's about faith. Now, for us to understand that, we need a little bit more of a working definition of faith. I think we have kind of an understanding that I think is a little off, particularly in America, which is that belief is generally understood as a what you think about or understand certain things, that that's a belief. But let me just give you a little bit more biblical definition that you might wrestle with. It's this right here. Faith is not the absence of uncertainty. In other words, Abraham isn't going to the place of like, well, this is all going to be great. I no longer have any doubt. That's not faith. Instead, faith is a willingness to commit to a course of action in the midst of uncertainty. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't possibly know. He's being told things that seem crazy. He's being told you're going to have kids that are as numerous as the stars. Your descendants are going to go on forever and ever. And he keeps saying there's no way. And this is faith. It's not that he doesn't doubt. It's that there's got to be a way that even though I can't see it, I'm going to stay with the course. That's faith. For us to be transformed people, to have the kind of transformation God wants for us to have, we're going to have to take steps in the midst of things we cannot see. People are confused about this idea centuries later. What they want to do is they want to find a way that they could work and prove and identify that they're ready to go with God, that God's kind of got them and they're the right people. And they're always trying to argue for this. In the early church, the Apostle Paul writes to the early church, and he says this. Well, first of all, I should back up. This is Romans 4. But in Romans 3, here's the conversation. How much good stuff do we have to do to be able to impress God enough to be deemed people who are good enough to receive blessings? Really, that's a rough paraphrase. And Paul says, you can't do enough. Even Abraham, we're going to talk about in a second, even Abraham didn't do enough to earn. The only thing Abraham did was he had this thing called faith. Check it out. So here's, here's the language. It's a little clunky language, so bear with me. What then shall we say th- that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? This matter is the conversation about how good do we have to be? Then he says this, verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, meaning he did everything good enough, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The whole notion of being made right has everything to do with faith, not with how, wonderfully, how wonderful we act. It's almost as if righteousness, this idea of living the right way, the, literally the translation in Greek for the word righteousness, is, the word is dikaiosune, and it means to live as one ought to be. For it, it, to say, one who is as he ought to be. And it is something that cannot simply be managed into that way. I cannot create in myself enough righteousness. That's not what happens. The way in which the Bible talks about it is that righteousness, apparently, is a byproduct of faith, not the other way around. Many of you grew up in a church or have an understanding about church that says, if I could kind of get my act together, then I'm sure God would somehow show me some kind of faith. I'd get it. Only the opposite is true. 
if I could kind of take a step into faith, then, the, then there might be some transformational. There might be the righteousness is a byproduct of, of faith, not the other way around. Verse 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts in God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. Meaning no matter how far apart from God you are, if we start trusting in God in this kind of radical, uncertain kind of faith, then something happens to you, which means you get to have this righteousness. Keep on reading. David says, this is talking about King David, says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from his works. He says this, this is Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, meaning sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, uh, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, for us to have transformation, we have to be based on some kind of, there's some kind of assumption we have to live with. The one thing you have to have is this picture of faith. The one thing you absolutely have to have for transformation. Wherever you're going to go, it has to be faith. And when the Bible looks at you, when the God looks at you, when you le- read your own life through the lens of the Bible, there is an assumption everybody has to wrestle with, which is this. You are not intended to stay exactly as you are right now. However you self-evaluate, however everybody else talks about you or tells you, whatever else it might be, you are not intended to stay as you are right now. I believe wholeheartedly that everybody came into today believing that reality. Whether you're desperate or you need a little tune-up or you need an overhaul, whatever it is, my guess is that you came into this place going, there's, a part, there's parts of my life that need to be changed. Now, God does say at times to us, stay, but staying is not the permanent place God intends for us. God is intending to take us to a place that's different than we are right now, that we might be transformed. If we're going to have a kind of transformational kind of journey, you're going to have to, we, the Bible is operating with this assumption, you are not intended to stay exactly as you are right now. In any faith adventure, any transformation, there's a couple of things you need to know. One is this. A transformational journey requires that I step into something that, that will not necessarily be understood by other people. God intends to take you to places that he, again, they will not make sense to you. And other people will look at you and go, that doesn't make any sense to me either. Are you sure you might be crazy? I really don't want to do that. Do you? Just for a moment, think about what that might look like. I'll give you kind of a picture. If you're in a toxic relationship and you are deciding this is not the place I should be in any longer, there is another party involved there who will say, you're crazy you're going to be alone forever. You're going to, this, this is a terrible decision. And you might start to believe them. If you're in a place in which in your own workplace and where things are being done that are not ethical or there's some kind of violation of your own value, whatever else it might be, or there are people taking advantage of you, for you to say, I think I might leave or I might make a transition or I might confront someone, there is a number of people who would say, why would that person do that? They had such a good thing going. If you're a person who is seeking for reconciliation and forgiveness, to find it, to confront, to say maybe perhaps, I need to ask for your forgiveness for someone you've wounded, people will say, why would you do that? Isn't that only going to make things more difficult? And where it's appropriate, we do need to step in and go, I need to ask for forgiveness. And people around you will go, don't you just want to, why would you do that? And the other side is true also. 
for the people that have wounded us. Remember, Jesus is inviting people into a journey into places that are uncertain and that are uncomfortable, that are unknown, and to journey to other people in which to say, I forgive you. People will say, how could you possibly forgive that person for what they did? It will not be understood by everybody. In fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry, well, I'll just give you a couple examples in the Bible. God calls Noah to make a boat on dry land. I mean, just imagine the absolute absurdity of this request. Noah, you don't know much about carpentry. You're going to figure it out. (laughs) But you're going to build a giant boat on the land. And I'm going to bring water. Okay. And everybody going, hey, man, what's the boat for? It's going to be a lot of water someday. Okay. You know, I mean, that's, think about how long he has to endure this. Moses takes these captive people out of, his own people out of, out of Egypt and they walk into the desert. You know what lives in the desert? Nothing. People are like, wait, we're going out of the civilization where there was food and stuff. We're going into the desert. Yes, I know. And then they walk to the shore of a, of a big giant sea and they're like, great. We walk through the desert, which there was nothing. And now we're at the sea. We're going to die. And they all say to, to Moses, um, did you bring us out here to die? Because that's what this feels like. They literally say, that's what the Bible says, that they went, you brought us out here to die. We were better off in Egypt. We were slaves. Jesus' own family, in Mark chapter 3, he's teaching. I mean, it's very funny. In Mark chapter 3, he's teaching to a large crowd of people. Not everybody can fit in the room. And his family, it says that his family, his mother and his brothers come and show up. And they try, <laughs> and they try, it says that the, the Bible says they try to take charge of him. Because they believed he was out of his mind. His own family is like, I don't know. The whole Messiah thing, (laughs) you're crazy. His own family. The next verse says that the religious leaders thought he was possessed. God is inviting us onto a journey in which not everybody will understand it. God may be calling you to a place that is far different than you might have ever understood. And it's probably different than other people have ever understood. But it is in this transformational journey that God intends to take people. My guess is that a lot of you were invited today or you were invited by someone else who said, are you sure you're getting where you want to go doing the same things you're already doing? And you said, maybe there's another way, even if it's not understood, even if it's crazy to other people, I got to check it out. Next is this. This is equally as hard, if not harder. The blessing is always on the other side of the journey. The blessing is always on the other side of the journey. Now, here's what that means. God may be inviting you into something like, let's just take again, forgiveness. God might be inviting you into something that might be courageous or difficult or whatever else it might be. But God is not saying, I want you to feel wonderful about that before it starts. You don't get that. That comes afterward. You don't get to celebrate the journey and all of what it has for you before it starts. Tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, we're going camping. And you guys know I have a love-hate relationship with camping. Taking my family. I'm borrowing an RV, which is so it'll be a little different. It has its own kind of, like, circumstances within it. You know, like all the whatever that is. And I cannot say right now how how great I feel about the journey of taking my kids camping for the next couple of days. It's just gonna, it's the best. It's just, I just feel so wonderful about it. Now, there's things I'm excited about it. But I can't talk about it. We're going to a campground just north of Santa Barbara. We're real excited about it, whatever. It's going to be great. But I haven't yet had the journey 
We haven't yet, we don't yet have the stories. We don't have the night where that thing happened that we all talk about forever. We don't have the memory of whatever else goes. We don't have a picture of the hike that we took, whatever else it is. None of that's there yet because we don't get it till afterwards. Some of us look at our own journey. We look at our own relationship with God and we say, I want to be able to take these big next steps, but I want to be assured that it's going to be great. And I want everything, not only that, I want to be sure so I don't have any of that, that uncertainty stuff, which that's lame. I don't want that. And I want to know that I already want to feel great about it. Jesus' own journey to the cross is one in which he's like, the Bible says he's crying tears with such level of like pain that it's like as if it was blood pouring out of his face, saying to God, is there any other way we could do this? And then he says, not my will, but your own. The journey is so hard. And the payoff isn't until afterward. Let me ask you, where is it that God is inviting you to join him in a journey about which you do not have a certainty about the outcomes, but you know that it's where God is leading you? Maybe is it a place by which you have a sense that this, I don't see how this is going to be positive yet until the outcomes are on the other side of it, and yet you can't resist it. What is your first next step? For some of you, it'll be just to take a step toward Jesus. I don't have any more answers, and I've tried to find my own way, and I haven't found it. I'm lost in the dark. Others of you, maybe it's an opening up a part of your life to Jesus that you haven't yet, that you've been holding on to, that you've said, okay, this is mine and God doesn't get it. Where are you being called into, invited into, that terrifies you because it's so uncertain, that people will not understand? A place where the only place where there might be any kind of goodness is at the end of it. What we know is this. We will not change if we stay in the same place that we are right now. Where is God leading you? Oh, the places we'll go. Let's pray together. Father, each of us has a story. We talk about it in terms of journey. We talk about it in terms of the places that we have been. We talk about it in terms of the places that we're afraid to go, the places that we know we ought to go but are afraid to go there. Father, would you just reveal to us, would you speak to us about where that might be? We have fear. We have anxiety. We have uncertainty. Just for a moment as you're in the stillness, where is it that God's calling you? Where are you now and where is God calling you to? Is it a place of restoration and forgiveness and hope? Is it a place where the journey will be perilous but the payoff will be great, only you can't see it right now? Some of you may need to come forward for prayer in a little bit. Our prayer team will be up front. Love to pray with you. Others of you may want to just put something in the prayer wall to be prayed for later. But we're going to get a chance to respond right now, just as your eyes are closed for a moment, and to sing and to faithfully choose to follow Jesus where he might take us, even if we don't understand it. Father, we know that as a community of people who are constantly looking to invite friends, to include people, might we live our own journey toward you with authenticity, with integrity, without fear. Father, might we overcome uncertainty not with faith, Father. Might we overcome uncertainty with your power, with your grace, with your goodness. Might we be willing to trust you in the midst of uncertainty. 
And so, Father, we're people who struggle with all of this stuff. May you hear our prayer as we sing it to you, as we respond to the God who takes us to places we would not go or dare go on our own, the places we need to go. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And how transformational would it be if we had the faith to say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead me. I won't look behind me, beside me, but I'll keep my eyes on you. Hey.